On this episode, Billy Goating, Smudges, Mai Tais, and Labardu or Labardon't. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Uh, we are again in the lovely town of Bend, and today we have a very special treat. We have a good friend of ours, all of us in one way or another, and a fellow Irvine High Vaquero. Uh, Colby Kirk is here uh, <laughs> visiting with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Well, well thanks for, for coming, Colby. What's, uh, how are you doing? How's everything going? Oh, well, you know... Uh, Doing the best I can one day at a time. Yeah. As most people are, but it's a, a tough year, but getting through it. No, that's great. That's great. So, so Colby, why don't we, uh, uh, why don't you tell us, tell everyone how, you, how we met, how you and I initially met, and, and tell us about how uh, you ended up being a part of Mile, Mile and a Half and doing the, the graphics for us. Well, I met you on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> Very briefly. I thought that was stunning what happened. You know, I, I do have... A few friends that I've met while being out there and some of my best relationships are from fellow hikers so it's kind of amazing that we met while I was going north on the Pacific Crest Trail uh, summer of 2011 and you and the Muir project was heading south and uh, I heard about you and what you were doing and more importantly what you were carrying <laughs> about five to ten minutes before you actually crossed paths with me. I was sitting on the side of the trail talking to John Muir hikers, uh, John Muir trail hikers, and they mentioned all the camera gear, and I was impressed. You know, as a photographer, as someone who used to carry, you know, the seven to ten pound camera out into the woods to get some good shots, I was really impressed that there was this team of people with audio gear and, and video and camera gear out there doing the John Muir Trail. I love that. And so afterwards, I think I sent a message to Rick uh, about the trailer that you released. I loved that. Yeah. And, uh, and and we knew you because of the amazing, uh, your amazing video from the Pacific Crest Trail, which actually went <laughs> kind of viral. And we had seen it before, so we were all kind of excited when, I know when Rick, Rick I think he messaged me right away, hey, the guy that did, uh, you know, <laughs> did, what was the name of your video again? Well, I think I think I named it. I was concerned about people not watching the whole thing. Right. You know? <laughs> I had friends that had come off the trail and put together a video of what they said was the best moments, and it being like two hours long. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's hard. You know, yeah. you, you're kind of compressing five to six months into a video. What are you going to show? What are you going to do to keep people in, in, interested in what's going on? And so. Before I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, I saw a couple of videos. One was called Breakfasts on the PCT. It was done through a PCT hiker who had the same kind of idea to take a photo every morning. And then a German fellow who hiked through China and covered thousands of miles and put together this seven-minute video that just has all these ups and downs of meeting someone and then the breakup and then brother or relative visiting. And, you know, he... His hair just, it was almost like a chia pet, you know. <laughs> he went, he started bald and his hair was almost like 12 inches out and his beard as well. So I'm like, you know what, I probably 
can do that. It wouldn't be very hard for me to just take a photo every once in a while of my face. <laughs> in, fra- in fact, a friend calls the video, oh, that video of your face. <laughs> but I called the video uh, Condor's three-minute adventure or something like that. I wanted people to be able to understand, okay, three minutes of my time, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, even myself, I have trouble getting through three-minute videos, so I wanted to have a little surprise at the end, which yeah. some people actually probably are hearing for the first time right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. <laughs> We're not going to spoiler alert the, the surprise at the end. It's, it's, it's fantastic. totally worth the, yes. the, uh, yeah. you know, watching to the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's great. And we'll have a link to that in our, in our show notes. Absolutely. So yeah. you, you have to watch it. Watch this movie. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. Can't help but cheer you up. Um, so, yeah. So we all met, and then uh, we, we contacted you. I think we were just such big fans of your journals. I don't remember how we figured out you were doing the journals. Maybe just through like uh, stalking you on Google or whatever. We found we saw your journal work, and I think um, I think around the same time that your the trailer came out for Mile Mile and a Half yeah. was about the same time I posted some of my journals from the Pacific Crest Trail. Right. Yeah. And one thing led to another. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very happy and, and still quite proud of the work I did for no, that film. It was so great, and it added such a, uh, I think, a unique element to it, you know? Because otherwise, what are you doing? You're just doing, you know, and there's nothing wrong with text on screen. It's you, Everyone doesn't <laughs> use it, but it was so nice to actually have, like, a, you know, like an actual visual, you know, handmade sort of feeling to it. You know, I, I really, really loved it. Um, we're only going to nerd out on my movie for a little bit longer. <laughs> just one more question. Do you want, because you did some really neat stuff, too, where you came up with some really sort of specific things from from watching, I guess, cuts of the movie, right? From reading some of the journal entries? Because you did yeah. some very neat, sort of more personalized things, I think, which was even more than we expected. Yeah, Jen was able to send me copies of her journal, which I used to write in, uh, you know, stuff that you wouldn't want to be able to read because I re- repeat some of the things that she wrote in her own journal while she was on the trail. And so, and then to add that to the fact that I had just come off the trail not five or six months earlier... I really felt like I was back there with you guys, uh, and I was hiking north, but after being able to see some of your raw footage to be able to, to create my artwork and to read some of Jen's journal, I wished I was with you guys. That was, <laughs> looks like a lot of fun together, but I had more of a solo experience on my hike. Yeah. Well, so why don't we move away from the documentary and let's maybe just talk a little bit about your hike, your PCT trek. Oh, sure. Yeah, that happened quite suddenly uh, compared to most PCT hikers, I would assume. I was laid off from a job that I had in Los Angeles, and I had been thinking about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail at that time. I was musing over the idea of quitting my job and doing it in 2012, but thanks to my employer, and they allowed me to hike it in 2011. <laughs> uh, in fact, I had to have a coworker deliver to me because I had used my work address to send some books on the Pacific Crest Trail. I forgot what guides they were, but it, it seemed kind of the right time. And so I think it was 31 days later I started my hike north on the trail, and my main goal was to hike north to... Canada, of course. You need to have that imaginary lasso to, as motivation in my in my experiences. Because if you just say you're going to be on the trail, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I just wanted to be on the trail. And so because of the amount of snow that year and because of my speed, my I, I generally did about 
seven to 12 miles a day for the first few months. And then uh, by the end, I was at 15 to 17. I may have done over 20, five or six times, maybe even less than that while hiking the PCT, mm -hmm. which might surprise a lot of through hikers. But then again, you know, I'm not a through hiker. I got off the trail in Northern California in October. So I had a very lovely time just spending time in the woods where most of the time I was hiking by myself. Of course, I was in many pods, maybe just one person up to two or three people at a time and had lovely experiences with them. But I, 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 my mind kind of goes back to the the moments of solitude and and the the days at a time where I didn't see anyone because to me I was still on this trail but to everyone else the season was ending and not very many people on the trail going into October and that was just wonderful. And finally a storm as I suspected uh, an early winter storm took me off the trail and reluctantly got off the trail after hiking about 1600 1700 miles. That's amazing that's so cool that you did that. Yeah, now, one of the things you mentioned earlier were your journals. And how many journals... Tell, talk to us a little bit about the journaling process when you, when you did your, uh, your hike on the PCT. How many journals did you fill? Did you journal every day? You know, what kinds of things did you journal about? On the Pacific Crest Trail, I, I knew that I'd be carrying journals. It's, it means a lot to me. Ever since I started traveling in around 2001, I would I'd carry a journal with me. If it's going to be on a long backpacking trip or even something during the day. I, I've once, I feel bad about saying this and using more gas, but I once turned around at a trailhead and go, went home just because I forgot my journal. That's all I forgot. It wasn't anything else necessarily for me to survive on the woods, but it means a lot to me to carry my journal. Uh, I, I, on the trail, when I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, I filled five moleskins, which equals about 650 pages. I, I transcribed them just <laughs> so they're legible, and it came to be about 160,000 words. Uh, not the best words, but I do enjoy opening it and looking through the journals because, uh, like any good journal, it's going to bring you back. It's, it's just going to be enough to be able to spark memories that you've had. Uh, it doesn't have to be great writing, but for me, when I've written that I've sat down under a tree and had lunch uh, with some hikers, that's enough for me now to put myself back there as much as I can. Of course, I, I try to write as much as I can about the weather, but when you asked how often do I write, I think a lot of it, it's been over an hour in my 10 in the morning or at night and, and write if I can't do it during the day. But I would say that I, I journaled anywhere from 12 to 50 times per day. Sometimes it would be just standing with my backpack on and I'd write something down. Other times I would spend uh, a half hour or an hour just writing or, or drawing something. I was just going to ask if it's just writing or if it's also drawing. It was, it was terrible drawing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, someone asked me, you know, how, how are you... Uh, the artist you are I'm like well practice for so the sketching is not necessarily to be good at sketching but to be able to spend time concentrating on something I, I remember a page of my journal from when I hiked in Europe uh, it's of the ruins of, of Pompeii you know, with the Vesuvius the outline of Vesuvius behind it. I can still picture picture it uh, I sat there for maybe 30 minutes, and all that time I heard maybe four or five different tour groups come behind me. Mm 
And even today, I wonder if they can remember that moment as, as well as I can. And I wonder if it's because I spent time looking at it and trying to transfer it to paper. Is it that why I remember it? I hope it is, because that's why I continue the journal. Just being able to take in a short amount of time, what have you done? You know, most hikers, when they journal, they want to write down the mileage they did. I've interviewed a lot of people that journal on the trail, and they tend to want the statistics. Everyone, everyone loves statistics. But after a while, it's those small things. You know, I'd stop and write down that a snake crossed my path, or you know, the the wind one night, or, or the view. You know, and, and I'd try to sketch it. <laughs> Some of my sketches, I it'd take me a minute to realize what they are. <laughs> Uh, but once I do, it's like I'm back. I'm there. And so for me, a journal is almost a, a time machine. I've, I, I write, write it for myself because I don't think it would mean as much to anyone else. Because it's, it's not necessarily capturing a memory. It's, capture, it's that string that takes me back to that memory. Sometimes I think of it as fishing. You know, I've got this pond of memories, and we all do. Maybe they're misremembered or what, but they're still memories connected to emotion that we've experienced on the trail. And so I'll sometimes cast back internally, you know, to a moment, and usually it's my journal that helps me get there. You know, <laughs> opening a page and trying to figure out where on a trail I was. Uh, especially during COVID, especially in the moments where I wasn't able to get out the trail. Uh, they ended up being very meaningful for me to be able to look through these. Do you journal as just a normal daily practice or just when out? I don't. I, 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 well, sometimes I'll do audio journals just to be able to organize my thoughts. But most of the times, um, it's while I'm on the trail. There's this now connection. It's been 20 years now. It's this connection of, of being out there. And, you know, the writing, the actual pen or pencil to paper is just one part of it. It's the smudges. It's the dirt. It's the signs that, you know, this was hard work. This was somewhere that it, it took some doing to get to. And I don't want to say hard work all the time. It's just in the moment I was thinking. But generally, when I'm on a trail... It's in that vein of thought, it's sometimes hard, it's sometimes easy to forget that we are very lucky to be able to get out on trails uh, financially and, and physically. And I know that there might be a moment in my life, hopefully quite short, but that I won't be able to, to get out there. And so these journals are becoming more and more, more and more like time capsules. And uh, I, it's selfish. I'm not sure if anyone else will enjoy them as much as I would looking through them, just as someone wouldn't enjoy looking through their own personal journals. You know, but keeping them uh, not only prepares me for those moments in the future, but also, you know, when I'm writing, when I'm there, I'm I'm thinking about where I am. So it's no longer. A, it's no longer about getting somewhere. I mentioned earlier that I don't journal a lot on the trail, uh, depending on the, on the trail. It's all about time management. As long distance...
Sorry, we are we're dog wrangling. That's all right. So, so, yeah. You know what they say about labradoodles? Huh. Labradoodles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding. <laughs> there, we were, they were, we were so well behaved earlier. We really hope yeah. to get a dog, and we really yeah. hope it's a labradoodle. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing. You say like. You know, you don't think other people would enjoy looking at your journals as much. I promise you, I enjoy looking at your journals a thousand times better than anything that I could do in a journal. So, <laughs> well, I think they're pretty. You amazing. say that. I yeah. hope. I hope that you'd be able to reference that. Do you keep a journal? <laughs> uh, not as much as I should. Huh? I, I take, but you know, I do the fo- I do the photos. That's kind of my version of journaling mm-hmm. is the photography. You know what I mean? So for me, well, that's kind of the. If yeah. anyone is interested yeah. in journaling, it, yeah. it's it, all you need is a piece of paper. Yeah. And something to write with, right? That's as simple as it gets. Just like anything else, you know, get out on the trail. But as you do it, you find out what things you enjoy and what things you don't. And the paper quality and the tooth to the paper. And and then, you know, your writing style, especially as a hiking uh, journaler. If you're wanting to journal a lot, you need to have the room to journal. So for long-distance hiking, it's time management, right? You have a goal for the day or for the week and you have to be able to know how much time you're going to spend hiking and how much of that is not hiking as a journaler as someone who journals a lot i need to add more time in my day which is why i was not a very successful through hiker (laughs) (laughs) i think you were successful right it's it's all about the experience you love the experience that's as successful as you can get sure i was gonna say i love that (laughs) i made the mistake of uh, saying that i was a through hiker because I wanted to be, right? But you get a lot of people correcting you. It's like, you're kind of late for a thru-hiker. <laughs> so I realize now that I was attempting to be a thru-hiker, uh, meaning that I wanted to be on the trail until I couldn't be anymore. And I knew that I couldn't get to the northern terminus before the weather would change. That, that's still quite a feat, hiking as far as you hiked, though. I mean, you, I hope you know that, how amazing that is and how great of an accomplishment that was. I mean, you should, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I, the, as the years go by, I'm not sure if I'd be able to replicate it. it just yeah. the time in order to do it. Yeah. And I'm married now. My wife loves backpacking. I, in fact, proposed to her on the Pacific Crest Trail. And yeah. it's uh, just more difficult to find those big blocks of time to do uh a through hike like the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, switching from epic hikes to more uh, to some more simple hikes, have you been able to hike much lately? Are you getting out? Not summer? as much as I'd like. <laughs> I think that's everyone. Like, yes, yeah. it's. Uh, I'm always motivated uh, to get out, and sometimes that's just putting on my slippers and stepping outside <laughs> and enjoying the night. You know, when I first started getting into travel, I was living in Los Angeles and I was going to really wonderful countries around the world and I wondered what is it about that distance that makes a trip you end up somewhere and you you have that feeling of travel adventure I think it's that almost that childlike feeling I remember the first time I was in a foreign country in Paris I didn't recognize what the signs meant I felt like a small child that didn't know how to read yet and then you start looking at things differently because of that you know, I remember uh, here seeing a bird that uh, someone who was out of town had never seen and the joy that they experienced for seeing something that's so common here. But you're, far, you're coming from somewhere that's not so normal. And, and so trying to capture that by looking at something differently while on a hike or even out my front door has been great. You know, especially while I'm working at home so much, being able to see the birds 
roost and make nests in our yard then leave and seeing how many survive and getting to know the the animals and stuff in our yard is great however that's not the answer to your question (laughs) (laughs) it's a good answer it's a good answer answer. it's an answer but i feel like it's sort of the sign of the times though right i mean i think because right now we're still in kind of covid land and it's sort of made us appreciate those things that are closer to home those moments you know where we may have sought something farther away or sought something you know just kind of filled our soul with nature or whatever and we're finding yeah. those things can be right with us and right at home so i think there's i think it's important to know you know you said like what shorter things you're doing like it could be as simple as just experiencing your home yes. or some nature that is in your neighborhood or mm-hmm. whatever that is <laughs> the most hiking i've done is in my neighborhood yeah. uh my wife and i while we were in lockdown we would try to get out of the house and walk around and i would use gaia app and record all the streets and alleys. And now we're at the point where we have to walk about a mile and a half to get to a new street that we haven't been on. So it's been great. We've been able to find out where the beehives are in our neighborhood or certain species of birds that we rarely see. Oh, this is the neighborhood they live in and their nest is. Um, to answer your question though, yes, I, I'm currently working on a challenge. Uh, I like to make goals. I like to make outdoor goals. And usually with an expiration date. This one doesn't have an expiration date just because of the times. But I'm working on my third 100 hikes project. I'm about 75 hikes in. Oh, nice. And some of them are replications of previous hikes. But it's motivating me to get out and do about two miles or so on a trail or more. Is that all all locally? No, it's in wherever I am. Uh, My wife and I have been taking some road trips in the Pacific Northwest and if I can make it at least two miles, I, you know, I try to have some rules yep. for how long my hikes are. But, you know, with COVID, uh, I've gotten away with it like a mile and a half. Yeah. <laughs> a mile, mile and a half. Yeah, there you <laughs> go, yeah. I think I was on your last 100 hike challenge, I was like number eight or something like that. Yeah, yeah was it was it? number 15. Number 15, that's yeah. right. I remember that. I remember helping you do the little numbers on the up on Sandstone Peak. And Do yeah, you? Yeah, I do remember. I, do I don't remember, remember that part. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but that was fun. Yeah, yeah. we were with a... a a friend, yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was, was great. Nice. Sandstone, oh man. Yeah. Back to what you're saying, it's it's it's. You think that you can prepare yourself for moments like this where you can't leave the country or you're you're limited based to a you know a disease that's going around the country. You never think about this. You you don't you don't think that could ever happen. So, I I feel very lucky to have been able to travel when you when I could, and I'm of course looking forward to the day we can again but it's moments like these where my previous experiences helped me mental or you know through my emotional uh my mental state as i as we go through this COVID. you know can't travel as much as i can but i feel really lucky that i have done that in the past what are you looking forward to doing most like once everything's done do you have any big <laughs> epic trips planned or what's that what's the next one on your bucket <laughs> well, list we we did have a trip planned for this last summer yeah. that we weren't able to take. We were going to go caravanning around the UK, but of course that's now on hold. Uh, we're hoping, we're planning for a trip to the southwest next uh, fall. My wife, Jasmine, hasn't been to Utah, and uh, sh- there's lots of gems there. Oh, yeah. As yeah. you guys know. Yeah. So it have, we, we do enjoy packing up the car. And just hitting the road, um, n- not knowing where we're going to sleep. We usually find a place to sleep off of a forest road. And now we have a map of places.
places that we know of in the area when we go back. But yeah, that's generally our, uh, we've been planning out some three-day weekends and I've gone on some day hikes in the area. You took me on my first hike in Oregon. Oh, really? That is, yes. Very first hike. I feel my very honored. first hike in Oregon. That's um, great. Was it the Badlands? Yeah, in the uh, Badlands wilderness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, there's something about it. A lot of people that I run into, if they're locals, they'll be like, oh, well, it's sand and juniper and rock, right? But then you'll run into some people that have come from, like, Portland, in the area where most people, when they envision Oregon, they think green and... Lush. Just lush, yeah. yeah, and forested. But you'll run into a lot of people that come from the valley, Eugene, Salem, uh, Portland, that are just fascinating, and I am too. It's all volcanically created down there. And, and uh, when, I, when I moved here, I really was fascinated with everything. I've moved over a dozen times in my life. I lived in, uh, I was born and raised here in Oregon, but I moved in Minis- I lived in Minnesota, I lived in California for uh, a good extent of my life. But any time I moved, especially as a kid, I'd walk the neighborhood and just be mesmerized. Imagine someone moving from Duluth, Minnesota in the winter to Sacramento, to California, where there's, a, you know, three dozen types of trees in every ne- neighborhood. You know, like the spiky ball ones. Yeah. <laughs> I was just... I was just mesmerized. And so when I move as an adult, I do the same thing. When I moved here, I took classes through the local university to become a a master naturalist. And I've been uh, using that to be able to see the, to to learn more about the ecologies of this area, the the animals and the landscapes. And I just, I just love it almost as much as I love the landscapes of California. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was actually, that was going to be my next question for you, was, was about the, you know, becoming a naturalist and, and, and taking those courses. You were kind of already somewhat prone to that anyway, right? Looking at the ecology and, and into that. Did it change the way you hiked, getting like an actual more formal like education of it? Yes. It, well, yes and no. I, I remember when I first started traveling, I, I went to a country and knew nothing about it. And when I got home, I learned as much as I could. And then for my next trip, I decided to read as much as I could before I went. And so I put together like 12 books about Peru and Bolivia. And in fact, made my own book of all these photocopied, shrunken pages of different books. And when it was all said and done, I had about the same experience. And sure, oh, that's knowing something when you're looking at it, um, for me, has about the same resonation as as resonation is uh coming home going home and then learning about it it's just about timing really Mm -hmm. and so uh the more i've learned on the trails uh the more it's like helped me understand what's going on ecologically and 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 knowing that uh what we're seeing now what we're looking at uh is really worth keeping you know what natural lands, what wild lands that we have are important. You know, as we, as we all experienced as in backpacking, the more we spend out there, the more we appreciate it. And the more we appreciate it, the more we come to, to love it and want to protect it. And so when, when I started learning more about the ecology here, I found a group called the Deschutes Land Trust. And they're a wonderful organization that purchases and protects lands. They're uh, um, they're based here in Bend, but they have properties all across Central Oregon. 
and beyond that are just uh, wonderful. And there's a few just outside of Bend, and I've led journaling groups through there uh, for the fa past few years. And uh, it's really wonderful to be able to, to have those areas protected for future generations. You mentioned earlier in your journaling that you sort of get to know the paper that you like and the mm -hmm. medium. So what is your what is your preferred journal? What is your preferred paper type? What, is it pen? Is it pencil? It, it depends. I, I, I would love to just have one journal and then when it's done I'll move on to another. But that's not the case. I've got quite a few at home and there are different sizes and shapes. Uh, some of them I've made from scratch. I, I, I love having little books that I've put together and sewn and uh, sewn together and, and uh, used for sketching. But mainly I've, for now, I've been using uh, uh, a brand called Notebook, I believe, um, and they have a, a few different sizes. But yeah, as far as lined pen or, or unlined. What was that? Lined or unlined? Always unlined. <laughs> okay. Always. Yeah, I write I and draw. Yeah. I learned. I guess I'm not a I'm not an ultra light backpacker. I'm a I'm a very large guy, and when I learned how to backpack, it was about the percentage method. Right. You know, like 15 percent of your weight. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's plenty of stuff. <laughs> and uh, so I've I've never been uh, a, a ultra light backpacker. Sometimes you're forced to throw or you know yeah. send home stuff that you'd really want to carry. Oh. But because of that, I write really small. Because, okay. of course, the larger you write, the more space you fill, yep. the more you'll need more books. So I write really small. And then also, I just don't like people writing, or reading over my shoulder. <laughs> so if I write small, I can never read <laughs> my writing. <laughs> you, you must still have good eyesight then. Like, I probably would have been able to read them 10 years. Now I can't read, you know, anything without my glasses. So. Well, I, I don't want to sound like a troglodyte. Uh, sure, I do love having this thing called pencil, which has yeah. graphite in it for those young ones listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know I do scan all my journals I do a lot of digital work right now I'm learning self-teaching myself uh, GIS technologies because I like looking at Google Earth but I want to create my own maps so that's been fun uh, to, to experience areas digitally through our computers and of course after I scan them I could fill a page with one letter or fill my monitor with just one letter so I don't think uh, my eyesight will be an issue in the future <laughs> as far as reading these pages yeah do you ever have any desire to do another big hike but on the same schedule you had before like and i love that i don't know i think there's something amazing that you were just literally out there until it was time to come off the trail and i think that's something that so many people don't do now because it's all about fastest known times it's all about setting a record it's all about like you said like those like the stats you know and strava and all these things and i just love again the idea of like hike like planning on being out there and th I would disagree with you through hiking until until it's time to come off you know that it doesn't have to be the lasso doesn't have to pull you all the way into the end it just you know when the weather turns or I don't know do you have any other there's a lot to unpack there yeah yeah do you have well, any first other of all big goals? I have I have I have uh, uh, friends that are long distance hikers and uh, really good at it yeah. you know as far as uh, having their own goals of how far they want to go when they want to finish of course, uh, speed could play a role in that, but you know we're just uh, different sides of the same coin. My goals are a lot different. Yeah, I've gone out with Sage Clegg, who's a triple crowner, and and uh, she wanted to hike in my style, you know, as a natural. She's a biologist herself, so we had a lot of fun out there, spending time on this mossy rock that was about a foot big, you know, long. <laughs> and we both we both had to chuckle at ourselves because we were just fascinated by the small creatures on this rock after about a half hour of hiking 
And I'm like, uh, isn't there a car parked right there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had gone like 40 yards down the trail and that was it. Um, so it, it's, for me, I've always said that hiking is about being somewhere and not getting somewhere. But of course, you need to use your feet to get there. Yeah. I'd love to be able to just transport somewhere and experience that. And when I spend that time hiking, I usually do try to stand there and experience it, which takes away from hiking time, which takes away from distance, and thus not a through hiker. Well, there's different term terminology for hikers. You know, we're all out there and enjoying yeah. it, right? But uh, some people like to have those those terms. And back when I cared more about it, uh, I was trying to think about what I was actually doing. And I was I was uh, at kickoff, this thing they used to have for the Pacific Crest Trail. It was an annual day zero kickoff event, which brought way too many hikers to the area, which is why it was uh, canceled a few years ago. But that was a wonderful way of, for me as a new hiker, to learn some of the things that I felt be important to know while you're out there, like mountain lion safety and how to use a pickaxe, or pickaxe, <laughs> how to use an axe and, and uh, crampons and stuff like that. But, uh, I was talking to Billy Goat, and I'm not sure if you guys know him. Uh, yeah, I know of him. Yeah. He, uh, amazing, uh, legendary hiker who's done thousands and thousands of, of trail miles. But he's the kind of guy that likes to go out there as early as you can in the season and not get off the trail until storms take him off. And, you know, he'll sleep under a tree like Johnny Appleseed. And it's just amazing to hear his stories of his hikes. Um, but I really liked his, his passion for just wanting to be out there, not necessarily trying to finish a trail. And so I thought a great term would be billy goading, just being out on the trail as much as you can. So instead of through hiking or section hiking, I just sometimes uh, used to like using the term billy goading. Let's, let's, let's make that a thing, billy goading. <laughs> billy it. goading is well, now yeah, a, If you think about a billy term. goat, yeah. besides the, the actual person, but a billy goat isn't... You know, usually I, I I can't imagine a billy goat having the goal in mind of like <laughs> right. I'm going to get to the Canadian border. Yes, but have you though for other animals? I have. Mm -hmm. I'll watch like small ground beetles, you know, with their big fused together abdomens and, and wonder if they have backpacking supplies underneath. <laughs> <laughs> or like if I see prints from deer, I'll call them sobados or nobados. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. What got you into the outdoors? What got you hiking in the first place? Um, a combination of having a 70s childhood in, in Eugene, Oregon, and having a large pasture behind my house, and having a mother that said, just be home for dinner, you know, mm -hmm. like a 70s child growing up. Uh, I was a latchkey kid in the 80s, and just learned a lot of things to be independent. And then when I was in my, in Boy Scouts, I learned how to, to backpack around Sacramento. And uh, when I became an adult, I worked at a YMCA camp up near Big Bear, California, and taught archaeology and astronomy to kids every summer. And my backyard just brought me into the San Gorgonio wilderness. I would, while they would go down to, while my other staff members, half of them from being out of the country, they would go experience Los Angeles, you know, Disneyland, the beaches. And since I had done that a few years at that point, I was more interested in learning more about where the camp was. So I would, I remember the first time I went backpacking by myself, I had a 75-pound backpack. <laughs> awesome. And I did like 1,200 feet elevation and a mile and a half. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I made some mistakes here. 
Most of my learning experiences of the outdoors have happened through the School of Hard Knocks <laughs> 25 <laughs> years ago. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to still be here. <laughs> I, I remember one of the first times I did an overnighter, I hiked up uh, a trail on um, Sugarloaf Mountain on the backside of Big Bear, California, Big Bear Lake, California. And I was camping next to this creek at a campsite. <laughs> I decided, I don't know if I really put much thought into it, but I didn't think it would be a big issue to put my pot and pan dirty with crusted food, you know, on you know, next to the fire, which I was sleeping 10 feet away from. And at two o'clock in the morning on this calm night, I hear the pot fall off of the log and make a racket. And I'm, I'm sound asleep in my one man tent. <laughs> this little, uh, it, it, from a distance, it looks like a, a hostess, uh, Twinkie, right? And, uh, I wake up immediately when I hear the pot fall over and I don't hear any br br uh, breeze through the trees so I knew it must have been an animal and it didn't take long for me to discover the animal as I had my shoes right outside my tent and the next thing I hear is <laughs> and, uh, and then the next thing my whole tent is being shook, shook back and forth like it was I was in a storm all of a sudden. <laughs> And I'm still laying there, and I go, hey, ah, you know, I yell. And I hear whatever it was just crash through the campsite, through the creek, through the brush on the other side of the creek, and then into the woods. And living in the mountains, uh, working at this camp, I wasn't, I, I was accustomed to seeing bears every week. But, oh, man, I was, my heart was just racing. And after it was far enough away where I thought, I unzipped it. You know, I did one of those things where I unzipped my tent about six inches enough for my fist with my flashlight. And I'm looking around. <laughs> Is it still out there? <laughs> and when my heart uh, slowed down a bit, I turned over in this tent. And this tent is like eight, 18 inches wide by two and a half feet tall, right? And I turn over in my tent and I'm looking up and I see the moon. And I have to focus because it's so close to my face, but the bear had taken my tent and had left perfect two perfect crescent shapes of his teeth about four <laughs> inches above my neck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Whoa. And so I had that tent for years and it had duct tape on it and yeah. said, yo, yeah, this is the tent I was in that got attacked by a bear. <laughs> of course, you know, uh, now that I know more about bears, it's such a rarity and obviously the bear yeah. didn't know I was inside oh, yeah. of it. It just yeah. Yeah. smelled... Doritos. Most likely yeah. the food I had left out. Yeah. <laughs> that was some giant, like you said, Twinkie or something, like some yeah. giant treat all wrapped up. You just needed to get inside. Well, That's they, don't, a, they don't have yeah. thumbs, so right. the yeah. only way they explore is with their mouth. Crazy. <laughs> That's a big Twinkie. That's a quote from Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. That's a Ghostbusters <laughs> quote. I had to throw it in there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a person who owns about 25 journals, but... And, it's funny because I can tell when I bought them because it'll be like three pages and it was like that mm -hmm. part of my life. And then I feel like because I haven't completed that journal with that part of my life, it just goes into a box. Mm -hmm. And then I'll come back and so yes. I'm like, I have boxes and boxes of journals that are mm -hmm. mostly empty. Um, and I use, I'm actually old school, so I still use like little notebooks for work. Like I still like writing all my notes for That's work. That's good. I and like so I that. have like these aspirations to journal, but I don't know. For some reason, I, it's, I find it hard to just get it, whether it's maybe it's I'm making because I want to it needs to be like my deep feelings or something that needs to go on paper and then I'm like maybe I don't want my deep feelings on paper but what would I would say what would be your rec what would be your advice or recommendation to have someone especially out in nature and like to sort of like you said capture those memories sure. what would be your advice 
I think we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. I think it has to do with our expectations. We want to have this great book full of great memories and great things. But, you know, like our lives, it's going to include all the other things too. And sometimes, and there is a well-known phenomenon having to do with journaling called the fear of the white page. It, it, the first thing I do when I get a new journal is I, I'll just draw something on the first page. I want to just break it in. It doesn't have to be perfect or special or anything. It's just, just being able to get it going. Because journaling is, is not necessarily about what you're writing. It's having the fortitude and, and the, the goal of continuing it. So similar to hiking, you know, you may not be really good at it at first, but the more you do it, the better you get. Uh, and before you know it, you turn around and you can see the mountains you came from. Yeah. So it's the same with, I find the same thing with journaling. You know, I, I rarely get to the end of the book, too, uh, truth be told. There are quite a few books I have where I have a, just a few pages filled out. And, hope, you know, at one time I'm sure I'm going to have to cut those out to use the journal more. But... I've tried to get into the habit of just continuing a book. It's, I'll, I'll date stamp it on the binding you know, of the day I started it, and then when I'm done with it, I'll put the last date on it, and I won't touch it again if it's, you know, pretty full. Yeah. And uh, so that's a good. So to that point, you just have. So do you try to now just work through journals consecutively, or do you have like different journals for different experiences? Well, like my goal, yeah, it's kind of this combination of journaling and being outdoors, and then goal setting. I use my journals to talk about that goal. So I used to have a journal for my 100 hikes project. And I do, actually, because yeah. uh, they're easier to fill up yeah. with 100 hikes, right? <laughs> but with other road trips or long trips, um, it depending on the length of the trip. Like for my honeymoon, I have my honeymoon journal. But for my, for my hiking around town, I'll just pick up uh, my most recent journal and continue in that. Uh, and add in, you know, some commercial breaks amongst the, the hiking notes, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to, to have a journal. It's quite another thing to, to be able to fill it. And I think that's a fear for a lot of people. And similar to hiking, you just need to start and do it and yep. see what happens. I, um, I don't like crossing out things. Uh, people have said, wow, you don't have anything crossed down the page. It's like, it's for me. If I mess up, I know I've messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll just write it some other way. But uh, that's another tip I like giving is know your audience. Who are you writing this for? Either for reals or imaginatively. Like, I'll imagine, even though I'm writing it for myself, I'll imagine I'm talking to a good friend because, you know, that's the best way to share your joys and your sorrows and everything in between is, is having that person. So for me, I'll... I'll I'll like write in a way to my wife in 20 years and, and I'll do that too I'll write letters and mail them from where we are and then have her open them many years later <laughs> I've still cool. got a she doesn't know how many I have but when we were in uh, on our honeymoon in Italy I would write her letters and I made letters out of maps of Italy from okay. old National Geographic's and I would uh, write letters late at night while she's just passed out <laughs> And then the next morning, I'd find a place to mail them. So I've got a collection of these letters that I'll give to her, and it brings back that moment. All I'll do, I mean, it's not some love letter. All I've written is what we did that day, down to the details, because those are the things you forget. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> for all the women listening out there, oh Colby Kirk. <laughs> for all the men Thanks, listening, Colby. for all the men out well. there, take notes. <laughs>
she well, like John, I, like, what? It may be great for me in, in retrospect, but she was so upset at me at the time. I tried to keep it a secret. It's like, why do you need to find a post office? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I um, and I and I know you were kind of being a bit uh, uh, humble about your drawing earlier, but uh, I've always really loved your drawing and you know your oh, aesthetic you. and all of that. Did you um, did you take art classes? When did you get started drawing? Yeah. How did you get into that originally? Well, art for me is just a form of therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I I did it in high school, going through lots of anxiety in high school. And in college, I always had a class. At Irvine High School, you went through anxiety at Irvine High School? Come on. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. yeah. We went to the same high school. Yeah. Well, probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to PB about Bella Vista. Yeah. It's a lot of different experience yeah. there. But yeah, um, you know how it is in yeah. high school. I used art as a form of, as therapy, but more along the lines of meditation. And I, I've realized that's why I like making art. I don't try to make it for someone else. I just uh, use it as a form of getting through something or helping to keep something, you know. Um, but yeah, I've, I I do enjoy educating myself on different techniques uh different old-timey types of ways of uh of making art that are no longer around i i like going to estate sales and picking up like old pen sets or 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 tools used by uh uh, uh, illustrators or or something and and try to use them and incorporate them just just it's all tactile or tactile is it tactile 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 for me you know it's it's holding a pen or a pencil in my hand and and drawing or, or writing on a page, it's there's something about that. It's not the same as looking at a screen or texting a note. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. Well, and the beautiful thing about it is that you know, when journaling with, it's it's an it's sort of an analog medium. It's it's not something that you're doing. Uh, it doesn't require internet connectivity. It doesn't require a battery. It doesn't require any of that. You can just sit be with yourself. It could be a hundred years ago or a hundred years in the future, and you'd be able to sit there and and journal. You know, it, it's funny that you say that. Uh, when I got off the trail, it was in um, Etna, California, and my parents drove from the Bay Area. They were uh, living in East Bay at the time, and on the drive home, my mother told me that the Oakland Museum was having an exhibit on John Muir's journals. So, 48 hours after I came off the trail. I was looking at John Muir's actual journals, and my journals are nowhere, nowhere near his as far as importance, but I saw that similarity, and I don't think, I really don't think that 100 years from now my journals will be around, but I do know that they'll outlast all my hard drives. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's for sure. I don't spend a lot of time uh, with a screen in front of my face, other than for work, you know, Uh, but and then I'm a very timid guy. People are surprised to know that about me. On the radio, it may sound differently, but I am six foot four and over 300 pounds, and have been for most of my life. <laughs> so it's uh, it's strange when people realize that I'm I don't like big crowds. I enjoy living in Bend because of that. But when I do like sharing, it's usually through Instagram, and I I have the hike guy. I do have a Facebook page of the same name, but uh, I haven't posted a lot there. And what is it? It's the hike guy. The hike guy, okay. yeah. Um, and, and didn't I remember a website where a lot you had some of your journal pages up as well, right? Yeah, a lot of that. Uh, 
is historical documentation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it is there. Yeah, yeah. I do have uh, the hikeguy.com. Yeah. Um, it, it, I feel embarrassed because I haven't updated in a long time and it shows. Yeah. But, you know, I have shared stories and photos there as well. And uh, I actually, one little last sort of plug for this thing we did together. I did do kind of a neat little behind the scenes piece on Colby for my mile and a half and, and it's him talking about uh his, his sort of process and drawing and whatever so we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well so if people want to kind of awesome. see him a little more in action that, that 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 came out quite nice yeah that was uh the most beautiful footage of me <laughs> that i know <laughs> some great camera work there i love yeah, that thanks <laughs> so nice to see you i mean i mean so what about a year ago up, up here but yeah to be um, 20 yeah. feet away from you is, i know uh, exactly <laughs> again to be even just to be this in this much proximity in, in the time of COVID is fantastic yeah so. i not have a screen as yeah. the intermediary yes, yes. Yeah, exactly uh, really i like this uh this strange non-zoom thing going on right yeah, now. yeah no it's, it's it's a nice nice for us too you're only our second non-zoom interview since COVID hits so so we're, it's quite a nice thing and you can hear the yeah, wind we chimes. wouldn't have the chimes exactly you wouldn't have these well these i can wind chimes. And the birds I could probably do that. and the uh yeah and the leaf blowers yeah and the, and the helicopters <laughs> and the parade well you know it's yeah it's it's those small things like the yeah. dogs yeah you know during COVID, i'm sure we all missed these type of interactions no absolutely or during absolutely. Uh, the lockdown so so thanks for sharing sharing one with us it's my pleasure all right it's my pleasure to be here Oh yeah, so what you have just heard is the opening of the first canned cocktail in our second cocktail, canned cocktail taste test. Severia, what's uh, what's the first one we're going to be trying? The gin and tonic. Ooh, a canned gin and tonic. So all three uh, flavors that we're trying tonight are from Cutwater. We have a gin and tonic, we have a uh, margarita, and a Mai Tai. So it's going to be interesting. Well, I definitely taste the gin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I should preface this by saying this is not my, my favorite drink. <laughs> like, you know, drink, I don't drink, this isn't something that I drink, you know, I order for myself, so. This is one of Joan's favorite drinks, oh, though. Good. Joan. So we should get Joan's, uh, we should get, uh, we should get Joan's And so the uh, description opinion. of this, just so you can hear, yeah. so we know what we're drinking, Old Grove Gin with natural cucumber and grapefruit flavors, plus the quinine and the carbonation. I definitely taste the cucumber in this. In fact, that was the first yeah. thing I noticed, oddly. Yeah. Which I thought, like, why am I drinking cucumber juice? To me, it's very summery. This is, like, one of my favorite summery. Oh, yeah. Mm. And it, what I like about it is it's not super sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of mixed drinks, really sweet, and yeah. kind of, I don't know, it's a little overload, sugar overload. Mm-hmm. This feels light, and you could get yourself in trouble with these. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> We should preface that. Drink responsibly with whatever, yeah, whatever you, whenever you drink. <laughs> All right, what's what are we? Uh, where are we going next? The margarita. Mm. Tequila. Mmm. Do we have salt for the rims of our, our glasses? Here? Oh, yeah. we forgot. <laughs> Darn it! Darn it! Thank you, Severia. All right. Mm, smells like a margarita. It's. Mm, yeah, that's that's it's a margarita. Yeah. yeah, it tastes like my uh, my my 18 to 21 years when I used to go to Tijuana. That's that's kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, 
Uh, I don't have very many specific memories from those days, but yeah. uh, but there was a margarita or two. There, yeah, in the, just the tequila por- portion. Oh, okay. And funny enough, now it kind of tastes like hand sanitizer, right? Because, you know, all these alcohol really strong. Have you had the, the alcohol hand sanitizers, the they one all, that smelled like, they're like tequila? Alcohol. Yeah, they're, yeah. Oh, they're all alcohol right now, yeah. yeah. All the distillery ones. Yeah, yeah. So the ones that, like, the vodka and the tequila companies are making, it kind of tastes like that smell. So it's kind of a – it tastes good. I will say this. It yeah. tastes good. It tastes very much like a margarita. Like, yep. if you want a yep. margarita, this will pass your test as a margarita. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of remind me of hand sanitizer, which is just kind of, you know. <laughs> I do wish that I had ice. Yep. Yeah. And I do wish that I had salt yes. on the rim. Yeah, salt yeah. on the rim. Because be to me, that kind of completes the margarita experience, yeah. and it's a little lacking without that. Now, that's yeah. not a knock on this, because it, no. it does taste very genuine. Yeah. And so we also, so these are not refrigerated. They're sort of naturally yes. chilled by our camping environment. So we're also drinking these. I would say they're cooler than room temperature. Yeah. But not, but very realistic if we were going backpacking, if we were maybe like they'd been sitting in a cold alpine yes. lake, could yeah. we backpack them in hmm. that temperature ish? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. 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 I think so. I will also say that um, Cutwater makes, I don't know, what do you call them, boozy pops. And so they have, a, they have a, these popsicles, and there's four different flavors, and the tequila margarita is one of the frozen popsicle flavors. And it's really good. That <laughs> what, um, pretty good, yeah. What ABV are these? Because obviously, like a real margarita is going to be quite high because it has a lot of tequila. But is this more again, like in that seven to ten percent range? The margarita is twelve and a half. Twelve and a half. Okay. Ooh. What about the so, so that's like a, a glass of wine, roughly, or like a really like a Belgian, you know, beer. Ironically, the gin and tonic is six point two. Huh. So even though we also we we tasted the yeah. gin, it was it's lighter. Huh. All right, so our last one is for to, for this is the uh, the mai tai. The mai tai. Does it come with an umbrella? Yeah, I mean, again, it tastes like a tropical drink, you know, like a mai tai. I th- again, I, f- I feel like this is one that you would really want cold. Yep. You know, this and the margarita, I think you would want cold. Um, I would at least. Yeah, a little umbrella, some hula girls, you know, some poi. Maybe some roast pig, I think, you know. Yeah. Don Ho. Don Ho. Yeah. It's definitely, you can, it's nice because it has that tropically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even when you smell it, it smells kind of fruity and fun. Yeah. Definitely would be better colder. This, I think out of yeah. the three, this one would benefit the most from being Chill cold. on ice. Yeah. Cold, yeah. yeah. On ice. But I, I mean, it tastes like, again, I think like the margarita, they've done a good job of getting the right flavor. It does taste like a Mai Tai. It tastes so, very So if you were, if you were backpacking and you could find a, a snowbank. And scrape away the top layer and yeah. nice clean snow, and use that to kind of make us a, a like a blended you know sort of drink with this thing. That would be amazing. That would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah. how much do those little paper umbrellas weigh? Really? Right, nothing. You know, not I mean, much at all. We could definitely could have a luau in. on the yeah. top of a mountain somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much would the tiki torch weigh? Uh, that yeah. might be an issue. Yeah. Okay. Also, might. like, might be not allowed most now. Maybe now, but most of the year it would probably not be allowed yes. in most of the Western United States where where where, where we hike for the most mm. part. It so, smells really good. Yeah. It smells good. I'm not a I'm not a rum drinker generally, yeah. yep. so yeah. it's kind of like not my thing at all. But um, it does smell. good. I'm gonna call it my favorite though. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the mai tai of the three we've had. I, the one I would be like, if, you know. 
If I had to have one of these three, it would definitely be the Mai Tai again. I feel like this one transports you somewhere else. Yeah. Like, it's sort of a fun. So, like, it'd be, f- I can picture yourself being up in the mountains, being sort of backpacking and being like, I'm having a Mai Like, have, you know, it feels very tropical and fun. I feel like it's a fun. Sit by but, some aquamarine alpine yeah. lake, yeah. you know, on the on the sand of the beach yeah. there, you know, and your feet, yeah. you know, kick back, you know, against a tree and you're just sipping a Mai Tai and yep. listening to the water lap up uh, on the shore. Yeah. That'd be all right. Yeah. And I love, uh, I love the idea of this snow making it a little slushy. Yeah, I think that would do it. You could you do that with the margarita, too. That Absolutely. would also work quite well. For me, I'm going to pick the gin and tonic. Oh, really? Uh, I just, it's light, hmm. and the ABV is much lower, which I appreciate when I'm hiking. If I'm going to drink something, you know, out on the trail or, you know, like I'm backpacking and I want it something at night or whatever, that's great, you know, but I don't want to, like, knock myself, yeah. you know, silly, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah, Severia? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like if I knew there was... I, now, now I'm obsessed with, like, the snow piece. <laughs> if I knew there was snow, snow I would probably yeah. take the Mai Tai. Snow. If there was yeah. snow, I would take the Mai Tai. Yeah. Um, the gin and tonic, I know from personal experience, backpacks in well. Yeah. Okay. Um, it does, and even when the alpine lake that you're hoping is going to chill it is warm because it's the end of the summer and maybe is not chilling it like it should, it's still held up pretty well. Okay. So it made for a nice, lovely nice. backpacking experience. It was, it was worth the carry-in. Nice. Great. So, cool. so snowbank definitely gives the the other two a bump. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. The slushy factor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'd still, to be honest, I'd still just bring whiskey though. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'd still just. I'd Let's rather be bring. Honest. I'd rather yeah. bring some, some some whiskey than this. Some good scotch or some good Irish in a flask, and you know, and drink that. Um, and you can find these on. Well, you know, we can obviously put it in the show notes, but um, you can find it. They have a store finder, but I just got these at Total Wine. Oh, cool. And I think I've seen them at Bevmo, so I think they're they're pretty. They're becoming easier to find. Got it. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's been enjoyable though. These are these are you know, they're they're all they're yep. you know it's again for for camping or for whatever. If you're a cocktail person, I, I think they they've done a good job of of creating you know canned cocktails. Yep. And the mai tai also is twelve and a half percent. Just to know. All right. <laughs> Noted. Chug, 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 yeah. chug. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have it here, but they also make an incredibly good spicy Bloody Mary. Ooh. So if you're a Bloody Mary person. For breakfast. For, yeah, for breakfast. <laughs> All right. For t- to maybe tomorrow morning we'll do a pre. Yeah. <laughs> pre oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. Special thanks to the Looney Bean and their lovely staff in Bend, Oregon for hosting us in their beautiful patio and keeping us and our guests deliciously caffeinated. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we talk to Dave Nissen, the founder of Wanderlust Tours. As always, thanks for listening.